This podcast is not meant to be professional advice of any kind. It's meant to be informative and entertaining. If you make any changes to your life, see the appropriate professional before you do so. Hello and welcome to SuperAge. My name is David Harry Stewart. I'm the founder of Aegist. At SuperAge, we help you live better and become the best version of yourself. And who doesn't want a super age? Welcome to the show today, everybody. Thank you so much for all your comments last week. Um, Like, really appreciate it. I got some lovely emails. Thank you so much. Um, Today is episode 10 of the Super Age podcast, and we are in Park City, Utah. (laughs) Lovely place to be. We have a really special guest today. We have Miss Carrie Otis, the supermodel turned into superhuman. Uh, Carrie was, uh, she, she had a Big-time modeling career back in the 80s and early 90s. Uh, some of the famous Calvin Klein ads, some of the other famous ads and magazine covers that you may recognize. And she also had a rather infamous lifestyle. She was married to Mickey Rourke at one time. Um, that did not go well at all. Um, there was uh, gunshots. There was heroin addiction. There was just like a whole lot of crazy. And... The reason I'm asking her on the show today is because Carrie really walks the talk. She entirely turned her life around, uh, which is just um, just extraordinary. You know, she's um, she learned to value herself and she learned not to pay attention to a lot of the voices that were around her and inside her today. And the reason we're having her on today is because, you know, there is a mental health crisis going on in the world today. There are levels of stress that I have just never seen before. And it's not, you know, yes, there's politics, very upsetting. Uh, and But, you know, geez, I mean, we have COVID, we have the financial issues, we have social unrest, we have the climate fires, on and on and on. Lots of stress. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk to an expert, someone who is really understood how to deal with this, who every day through her daily practice, which I think she's done for about 30 years, she's entirely turned her life around. She's now 52. She is a um, she is a super mom um, of, of two lovely girls, and she still models. She's very active in social causes, and uh, she's going to tell us about meditation and Tibetan Buddhism and how it totally changed her life. We're going to get to Carrie in just a second uh, after we're going to do an ad read from my favorite sponsor, Elysium Health. Today's show is brought to you by Elysium Health and their new product, Matter, for long-term brain health. You've all seen the articles I've written on Aegis about Elysium Health, and you know how enthusiastic I am about being healthy and tracking my health. I've been taking their NAD Plus supplement basis for years, and I monitor my biological health with Index. Now they've released their second supplement, Matter for long-term brain health, created in partnership with the University of Oxford. If you're taking a typical omega-3, you should switch to matter because it contains a superior omega-3 that is three to four times more bioavailable than the standard omega. And super-age listeners can get 15% off matter by visiting explorematter.com slash superage and using the promo code Super age, all one word. That's explorematter.com slash super age and the promo code super age. 
Save yourself 15%. Hey, Carrie, how are you today? I am doing well today, David. How are you? I'm holding up pretty well. You know, a lot of crazy, crazy in the world. There's Um, a lot of crazy in the world. (laughs) You know, I just feel like, you know, both of us have been through a lot, um, but I've never been at a time like this. Like, it's just, there's just like too much. Like, I'm, you know. It's, it is a lot to hold. It's a lot to hold. I don't think humanity has been, I'm sure humanity has been through many, many challenges. I think this is very, very unique and it definitely feels like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think about, um, you know, the politics is really um, unnerving. Um, Indeed. You know, (laughs) that whole carnival. Uh, and we have the climate stuff. We have the social unrest. We have COVID, which seems to be at the bottom of the list now. <laughs> it seems yeah. like you, yeah. you, you would think that like that would be a big issue for people. It's like in comparison to the rest of it, though, it's sort of like seems people think they're not going to die from it. So it's OK. And, and then we have all the financials fallout from all this. And yeah. Yikes. You know, it's, it's interesting. Pema Chodron, uh, the wonderful Buddhist nun, has said it so well. It's like trying to find ground in a groundless situation. And the key is like, it's always been groundless. I think we got super duper comfortable that everything was just like, okay. And everything seems to be um, stirred up and the rug has definitely been pulled out from all of us. So it's an uncomfortable time. It's a lot to sit with, for sure. Absolutely. And, um, you know, what I, I, I want to talk with you specifically today about your practice. Mm. And, you know, that seems to be, um, I, re- I read your book, um, mm-hmm. which is intense. Yep. Uh, and, it, it and it talks about sort of like what, what life was like and then what happened and, and, and what your life is like now. And, so I, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, so like daily, what's, describe to me your practice on a daily basis. My practice has evolved over many, many years. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have instruction from a phenomenal teacher um, who unfortunately is in Tibet. So I don't have as much direct access, but I have the practices that, he has um, directed his students to be doing in particular at different moments in time for different issues. Um, So today my practice is, and in this time, my practice, um, I get up in the morning, I get up before the rest of my household. That seems to be the juicy time for me and for a lot of practitioners. Um, And certainly in this time where there's so much distraction, that seems to be sort of the sacred time where before I go and do anything else for anybody else, um, that seems to be the most beneficial time for me to sit. Um, my practices move through deity practice, like, you know, a visualization of Tara and Tara's mantra. Uh, today it is much more Zogchen. Um, so it's a much more sort of esoteric Um, container, if you can even say container. Um, And it's actually, I'm doing my preliminary, the second round of my preliminary practices called Nundro. Um, And it's 
actually a terma, which is a mine treasure that my teacher revealed in the United States years ago that's specific for these very challenging times. So for me as a practitioner, it's really beneficial for my mind to go through these practices. Um, and it varies, you know, I'm a mom, things are happening. So when, when you're saying practice, um, what, what does that look like? Like, what are you doing? What, what are you practicing? What, what are you, are you're sitting, what are you sitting on? What, <laughs> what does it mean to practice? Uh, what, what, what is that? Well, the great thing, you know, about the word practice is we are literally practicing to train our mind. Um, my teacher has said the only thing we can ever control is our mind. So we're really doing mind training. Um, so practice for me means I'm sitting down in my meditation room. I'm sitting down on a cushion. Um, I usually always do three prostrations before I even sit. I usually light a candle. I light some incense, which is like an offering. And then, and then I sit down to practice. So practicing samadhi or practicing um, calming down the mind and being present and cultivating awareness. There's so many different teachings from the Buddha because there's so many different levels of mind, right? Some people need to sit and practice being present with their breath. It can be as simple as for five minutes, seven minutes, I'm going to put on a timer and I'm going to work being present in my body with my breath in this moment. And it can be as simple as that. Some people, it's really beneficial to practice visualizing or practice uh, a deity practice. So like visualizing Tara or focusing on Tara and saying Tara's mantra. I got to um, stop you. What, what's Tara? Tara is one of the goddesses, one of the female goddesses of Tibetan Buddhism. She was an enlightened, she was a Buddha. So another female emanation of Buddha. So, so Tara is one of the many deities. So a lot of the Tibetan tankas or statues um, often have Shakyamuni Buddha, often have Tara. So they're, she's sort of the go-to goddess. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Go-to goddess for everything. There's 21 emanations of her in different colors for, you know, and you pray to her for different um, results, outcomes, connections, qualities. Yeah. So, so um, say I'm sitting, I'm sitting in my cushion. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about my breath and that lasts for a few seconds. And suddenly I start thinking about my laundry or I don't know, what's yeah. the weather going to be today? What, what, right? Yeah. What are you having for dinner? What am, what I, am I having for dinner? Right. And suddenly I've completely forgotten about my breath. Um, talk to me about that. Yeah. So without judgment, but with cultivating, noticing awareness you would be like, oh, funny that I'm thinking about dinner. Let's return back to my breath. And so the training, the practice is you continue to return back to what you've committed to for those five minutes, seven minutes, and you practice so that you begin to build up, you cultivate awareness that, oh, you know, maybe, maybe 
Last week, you thought for five full minutes about what you were having for dinner. And maybe this week, you've begun to notice sooner that your mind has wandered. And so you gently return your awareness back to your breath. And you continue to maintain that until your mind wanders again. I mean, that's basically the whole thing, right? Right, right. This mind, monkey mind, mind right. wanders. So the practice is just that, bringing awareness back to whatever that practice is, whether it's breath practice, whether it's a mantra. Um, so, so that's what you would do with that. And you keep returning back to whatever that commitment is. And eventually you get better. Eventually you're able to sit for 20 minutes. And the benefits of it, right, the, the rewiring of neural pathways, the reset for our nervous system, the awareness then you're able to take from that reset into your daily life where you're spinning out, you're in traffic, you're getting triggered, and you're like, oh, that's why I'm practicing. So I can bring some relaxation, presence, awareness into this moment of chaos and frenzy and come back to some quality of quiet of awareness that's why we practice right right so it, it, it's um I, I i use a thing now um called an insight timer mm -hmm. and i it has these gongs right and so like every two or three minutes the gong goes off so i can't get too far out but i i I remember I went to the um, the Zen Mountain Monastery. It's like upstate New York. Yeah, and, beautiful. Um, and they would thunk you with a stick. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I've been to uh, Green Gulch, the Green Gulch Center in outside of San Francisco. Yeah, I did a retreat there, and and in that form of Buddhism, they do come and and whack you with a stick. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like bringing you into the presence with a stick. Totally. <laughs> um, so when you, when you, st I mean, I remember I, I've been meditating pretty steadily for about eight years, but I tried for like 20. And mm -hmm. in the beginning, it was just so hard. Yeah. So it, describe to me, what was it like? You know, where, if, if you can't tell me, like, what were you like when you started this and why did you start it? And, and what was it like? Oh my God. <laughs> Sorry if I want to drag you in there, but hey, it's okay. I mean, I have, you know, I have been so closely connected to Tibetan Buddhism for lifetimes, no doubt. I found it when I was 17. Mm. Um, and ironically, like so much had already happened in my life. I had already experienced being a teen runaway, I'd already gone to Paris, I'd already lived in Europe. I came back and was actually quite quite traumatized and wounded and met um, Lama Sultra Malione, who is a brilliant woman. People should know about her and her work and her retreats and her Tara Mandala. Um, but had the opportunity to go to a weekend retreat with her. And actually that was really not my style. I was very suspicious of people, of women, of group settings because of my past experiences. But when I met her, it was, it just, it all clicked. And so many things in my life made sense in that moment. Um, 
suffering made more sense through Buddhism. Really, this life made more sense through the lens of Tibetan Buddhism and the teachings. So I got connected like immediately and actually um, had quite profound experiences quite young with practice because I felt this incredible connection. That being said, I still had my crazy life to live. And so would sort of, you know, jump ship and go live my life and get in all sorts of trouble. And, but I always return back to Tibetan Buddhism. Um, always returned back to it. I think the hardest and, and also um, most profound experience other than, you know, I got involved really young and, and it connected was when I truly needed it and I had abandoned myself from it. I'd gone through lots of, you know, drug addiction and a really bad marriage and sexual assault. And when I came crawling back to Buddhism, it was because I was ready to make complete changes in my life. And I really came crawling back because I was in quite desperate, a desperate place, uh, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, I was in crisis. Um, I was getting off of medication, just I had left my, my very abusive marriage. Um, really sort of everything was up for me. And the only way that I knew through this place that I was, was I was going to have to find some discipline in my life. And I was going to have to show up completely presently for myself and for my healing. And the only way I knew to do that at that point wasn't through drugs, wasn't through alcohol, wasn't through all the medications that I was on, although they had a place for me at a certain time. Um, I needed to show up for myself authentically. It was the hardest thing. It was the scariest thing because all these crutches I had had in my life, um, it was the beginning of five years of celibacy. All of these crutches I had in my life I was saying, okay, I'm showing up for my healing now, which meant becoming very disciplined about my practice. And when I first came back to my practice after so long, it literally looked like this. I was having panic attacks. I was totally depressed. I was very frightened. And I had become so disconnected from myself and my emotions that I didn't know how to sit with them anymore and didn't quite trust that I would be okay by doing that. So I would go sit down at a certain time every day in the morning has always been my time. And at that time, I think I was sitting twice a day. Um, I would go sit on my little mat on, on my cushion and I would just cry. And, and I, would, I would feel the emotions coming in like a tornado or hurricane and just like brace myself. And slowly I began to see that they would pass like a cloud in the sky and that actually I was okay. That I, I, I began to build confidence and trust in myself that I could weather the storms that were coming. And so slowly it began to neutralize, right? And I began to actually, through practice, through sitting, develop a sense of trust, both in myself and that the universe would hold me. Um, 
and a sense of compassion for myself and my process and all that I'd been through that developed into self-love and self-care. So it was really hard at first. Um, and I also recognized it to be the only way through what I was going through. Um, yeah. <laughs> so there you have it in a nutshell. <laughs> so, you know, the, the life sort of that um, troubled part of your life that brought you to this was um, epically troubled. <laughs> Like, epically. Epically. I've never, yeah, I've never done things small or mediocre. <laughs> I go really big. Gunshots and, and heroin and like, you know, really go big. all in. Yeah, I didn't come to play small in this life. No. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now, so coming from how, how long, I love just the power of, of sit, like you didn't, you were just sitting. Um, and how transformative that was for you. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, and I, I don't think I had ever really showed up for myself. And this is what's so fascinating and sort of why we can talk about Bear Mama Project later. But this very basic how to be a human, how to take care of and, and be in this human experience. Like, hi, didn't figure it out until I was 30. Why aren't these basic pieces taught? Because this is the most, you know, precious, precious piece of, of our life. And we would live our lives with such grace and ease if we had gone through sort of that initiation, that permission. And I, I believe that once upon a time, a very long time ago, this was part of our tribe, our community, our initiations, it was, it was how, how we came into the world, but that piece is really missing. And those of us on a spiritual path really, I believe, seek that out at some point. Like, how do I do this thing of being human? So um, that was me finally meeting myself, holding space for myself um, and, and an essential part of my growth. So let, let's talk about... Um what's going on in the world today? And, uh, you know, as I mentioned um, before we started the recording about how I, I was reading statistics from the WHO about the global mental health crisis. And the stat that I read was that by 2030, um, mental health and depression will have more medical consequences than heart or cancer issues. Um, and how, I mean, it seems like listening to what you're talking about yeah there's a there's a solution here there is a solution here and and you know we have moved so far into disconnection both with self and nature that i believe this is at the source of what the world health organization is saying and what we're seeing the division, the, the depression, domestic violence, child abuse, like it's off the charts. And humanity is at a tipping point. And, you know, without us moving back into who we are, our innate 
humanness, our essential true nature, having some relationship with self, if we don't all begin to move back into that place, we will see all of what is unfolding. Uh, technology, right? Unprecedented. Um, we have children growing up on, you know, iPhones, iPads as, you know, a way of a new babysitter, a new caretaker. Um, all of this is contributing to a global mental health crisis, for sure. Um, and this is not how humans are supposed to live in, in disconnect. And I, I believe also COVID has also put it over the tipping point because now we're even in further disconnect and we're calling this the new norm. Um, so we all need to do our, our piece, but, but it's, you know, what, what Gandhi says, like, if you want to change the world, we have to, it starts with ourself. It absolutely starts with ourself. And just because we are in massive disconnect, there are ways that each of us as individuals can reconnect with self through, through meditation, through yoga, through breath practice, through walking in nature. These are all practices that benefit humanity. Um, those uh, happy Zen fellows who used to thunk me with a stick, um, <laughs> they, had, they had a nice phrase. They would say, uh, you want to change your mind? Change your mind. Like, and they meant really like change the inside of your mind. Um, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell me, so you're, you're a mom, right? I am a mom. You're, you're just, a, you're, but you're like an awesome mom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am an awesome mom. Yeah. yeah. I've got 12 and 13 year old daughters. Um, and so talk to me about the, the family and the practice and, are they involved? What do they, what do they think of this? How, how does that work within the family dynamic? Well, that's interesting. Well, it benefits the family dynamic for sure because mama has a reset. I have a place where I start my day. Um, my husband is a practitioner as well. And I really believe in everyone coming to this practice um, in an organic, authentic way. So my children have grown up, they grew up around Tara Mandala, Lama Soltram. Uh, they've grown up around teachings and ceremony and ritual. And that's my job is to introduce them to how we can live in a sacred way, in connection, in our lives. And then it's for them to interpret. So we shall see. Um, I think that they would be more open and actually they both are more open to learning from somebody other than mom, right. which for me is totally appropriate. You know, I have a job to do with them. And also I have introduced them to many, many powerful women mentors because I also know I'm their mom and there's right. certain things that, that they don't need to get just from me. It takes a village truly. Um, but definitely my practice, um, and my spiritual heart informs my whole life as well as how I parent, how I show up for my family, uh, what's the vibe in the house, pretty much all of it. That's wonderful. Um, and it, speaking of your house, you're in Colorado. I'm in Boulder, Colorado, yeah. Boulder, Colorado. And how, why are you there? How did that happen? That seems so <laughs> random to me. 
<laughs> well, the first move to Colorado was actually with our young daughters to live near Taramandala and my teacher. So that's a retreat center, one of the largest retreat centers in Northern America. Um, so we've had several moves. And then the second move to Colorado was around my husband's work. He's in environment. And now he actually is retired and we love our Boulder mountain community. It's amazing. And we have an amazing tribe here. And my whole thing was, is there a Waldorf school? That's how we've been raising our kids away from technology. Um, and so they've both been going through Waldorf and now ready to go into the world and to public school. Um, but it's been a really good mix of, you know, access to an international airport. And we also have fox and mountain lion and bear. And we live up in the mountains. So it's been really great. I'm, I'm actually, I'm in Park City, Utah today on the side of a mountain. Awesome. And Park City is beautiful. Really beautiful. It, it is. Do you have aspen trees where you are? We do, but not like Park City. We were up higher, we do. We were just up in Vail, yeah. and all the trees are turning, and it's just... Oh, yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, my God. It's amazing. Oh. It's the, the, the mountain behind me is bright yellow right now. It's incredible. It's oh. magical. Like, yeah. This planet's quite spectacular. Um, so talk to me about... You have an initiative now around alcohol, yeah. and... You know, you know, there's this huge amount of stress in the world and alcohol consumption is way up. Um, so what, what's going on with that? You know, part of my constant work is looking at what our communities need and addressing both the suffering and, and trying to find solution, trying to be available with all of my life experiences and noticing more and more, especially, we started working on this before COVID, but as COVID hit and all the mommy memes and all the mommy wine time and this mommy sippy cup, and it, it got so out of hand, the suffering I saw moms going through and just moving to the bottle, moving to the and bottle. What, I'm gonna stop you, what, what's the project called? It's called the Bear Mama Project. So uh -huh. bearmamaproject.com. It actually, so it was about a year and a half ago, Annie Grace, who wrote an incredible book called This Naked Mind. And it was an approach to making alcohol small and insignificant in one's life. The approach wasn't necessarily, you've got to quit. Actually, in the beginning of her book, she's like, actually, don't even change your drinking. Just listen listen to this and listen to my book and there's repetitive pieces of it. Really, it was this, when I read her book, I'm like, oh my goodness. Not only was I able to look at where alcohol was at in my life at that time and what had become so normal, um, I was able to really explore my own stories around all behaviors, but around alcohol and begin to realize it wasn't even my story. Like my, my, what I was doing, how I was relating to alcohol, 
it wasn't even mine. It, it was pieces I'd really been taught. Alcohol is so glamorized. It's so, if you look at the movies, you know, it's, you're sexy if you drink. All of these different pieces, it was yet another construct or program. And Annie's book really um, pierced the veil for me. And so I became one of the first This Naked Mind certified coaches. So um, this program is really because of Annie's influence on her approach to alcohol. And what we did is during the pandemic and seeing all the moms suffering and normalizing and grabbing bottles, um, we created, my business partner, Dr. Sarah Spinner, um, we created this four-week self-paced program, How to Explore and Rewrite One's Alcohol Story. So um, that's what Bear Mama is. It, as you're describing it, it sounds, I, I can't help but tie it to your Buddhist practice about totally. it's the self-observation. It is about self-observation. And for me, that element of bringing awareness and mindfulness and compassion and self-love. Right. And we really focused on mamas because, you know, when you move into parenting, everything about ourselves moves onto the back burner. It's just... You know, it's how it's written. It's how we're trained. And, and that's not always a good thing. You know, it's really important as like the force holding a whole family that mama's taking care of herself. And again, about this piece of being human, like who teaches us how to have this experience and hold it with love and compassion and self-care. So to bring that piece back into mom's awareness and to give moms permission to press pause and, and ask themselves where they're at today. Um, so yeah, it's a four week program, self-paced. Um, and we had so much fun creating it and it feels so good that we had that offering for, for women. It's, it's so topical. Um, yeah. Uh, which brings me to news. And um, <laughs> so um, outside of the, you know, the, we're not even going to mention his name, that. Um, <laughs> ah. <laughs> oh my gosh. But you've, um, you know, you had some experiences in Paris back years ago yeah. um, with uh, Gerard Marie. Um, yeah. And um, so there's been a lot of press on that lately. And is that something you want to talk about? Yeah. I mean, what's interesting about this is I wrote about this rape in my book, Beauty Disrupted in 2011. Um, at the time, I don't think I realized how big the situation was. Um, having daughters has obviously reframed my entire life and when I wrote about this assault, I did so because I don't want my daughters or any woman or man to have to normalize sexual assault, sexual harassment, and rape, to ever normalize it. And so I, I wrote about it in 2011. But you know what, David? It was before the Me Too movement, and nobody was ready to have that conversation. Since then... Um, I have been, so many women have come to me and shared with me similar stories, certainly about being in the modeling industry with different agents, 
but with this particular agent. And when it was brought to my attention that he is still working to this day with minors, I decided, um, I decided I would come forth with three other women um, who are all survivors of either rape or assault by him and offer my testimony to be a support to other women who need to come forward. And we did so a few weeks ago. Um, he was served papers and an official investigation has ensued. Um, this dropped in the Sunday Times UK. There were some amazing women, even though they were concerned that the newspaper was concerned about being sued, they went ahead and shared our story and it's New York Times. I mean, it's literally global. And since then, there are many, many, many more women coming forward. How, um, how old were you when that assault happened? I was 17. Right. So I was a minor. Um, yeah. But we're talking girls, you know, 13. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what age. Yeah. But really, there are women out there who are still within the statute of limitations. And actually, the law just shifted in Paris, France. It's now the statute of limitations is extended to 30 years for a minor. I'm still five years outside of that. Um, it's 20 years for someone who wasn't a minor. So, um, but we're making headway. And again, you know, it's just not enough. I think we've seen so many areas where if you aren't actively speaking up and speaking out and doing something and you're just looking the other way, you are complicit. So even though this was painful, exhausting, really, it was really hard decision. And I've had people on my Instagram feed, why 30 years later? Well, why not? Because I refuse to be complicit because there are other girls who this is still happening to. And guess what? It's not about this one person. This one person represents many, a behavior that is so systemic. We have to address it. So it's been, um, I just turned 52 on September 28th and it's just been this like epic. All right. I haven't been so out in the press in many, many, many years. Um, and it's for a really good reason. And this is the next wave of the Me Too movement. Just because we got Harvey Weinstein doesn't mean the problem is gone. It's far from gone. So we have a lot of work ahead of us and this is the next wave of the Me Too movement. Yeah. Um, I know about that guy yeah. um, and the whole like cabal. Yes. It's, it's, um, it, it's one of the reasons why that industry never worked for me. It was just like, this is I, you, you guys. Know, yeah. One of the most painful and eye opening pieces of having stepped out in this way I'm talking to many women every day to see if they'll come on with the lawsuit. Um, one of the most interesting pieces of this is so many of us to survive, um, dissociated, you know, compartmentalized and acted as if us trying to survive predatory pedophiles in our teenage years was normal. Right. And this whole wave of women that now have children, now are my age, are waking up just like, 
wait a minute, I've held on to this story that somehow what I survived was normal. And we tried to make it normal to make it not as bad. It was really bad. Um, and they're pedophiles. And yes, the whole cabal of predatory pedophiles is that it's, it's been existing within all these different industries for a long, long time. Yeah, I, I think, you know, particularly that industry. Particularly. Um, and quite blatantly. I mean, yeah, yeah. you knew about him. Everyone that I've spoken with knew about him. It may not have happened to all of the women I'm talking to, but they all knew about oh, him. Oh, yeah. Him and, well, yeah. a lot of other people just like him. Other people. Yeah. 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 Um, but, um, all right. Enough of that creep. <laughs> totally. Awkward. <laughs> hey, so um, uh, I'm looking at your magnificent hair. It, it is gorgeous. Thank you. Um, and um, since this isn't video, it's audio. Um, what color is your hair? My hair is fabulous silver. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. It is, yes. I got lucky in the, in the silver color. How long has it been like that? Um, I started to let it go silver, I'm going to say five years ago. Right. Yeah. How did that and, feel? Yeah. Oh, awesome. I mean, yeah. I just, I, I think it's a beautiful color. Like in general, I have silver jackets. Like I have a pair of silver <laughs> shoes. Um, I have a pair of silver black pearls. I mean, <laughs> And, and at a certain point, I'm just, I'm all about breaking up all the stigmas and constructs and programs. And like, it's just so, it's um, so ridiculous that we say, you know, menopausal women or women with silver hair are any different. Like, if this is what is the crone, I'm like going to rock the whole crone thing. You know, it's important to own these different stages of life. Yeah. Um, and, and it's super liberating. And at the end of the day, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's been great to just be me unapologetically, which is something I've tried to do throughout my whole career. And at this point at 52, like I can finally say, I have arrived. <laughs> <laughs> I, I own this whole thing. <laughs> I love the vision of the, the silver hair coordinated with the silver, like the whole silver outfit. It's like, so great. Yeah, I am totally. silver. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, a little off track here. Um, dogs. Um, dogs. I thought you dogs. said dogs. No, no, <laughs> dogs, dogs, uh, canines. So, yeah. you know, I read, um, I'm, I'm a, I've had dogs my whole life. My last dog was a, was a chihuahua. Um, yeah. which I just loved to death. Uh, and then, uh, and dogs are such a big part of your life. Yeah. I, like I remember the reading the yeah. book about your dedication to, and, and you, do you still have dogs? I still have dogs. I now have, um, two pugs and I have one monster puppy, a Leonberger named Ziggy. What's wait, wait, what's the, what is a Leonberger? What is that? Uh, a Leonberger. He looks just like Chewbacca from Star Wars. And he, sounds, <laughs> he sounds just like Chewbacca. They're known as the dental giant. And we've had, you know, I've had dogs forever. And actually dogs were a big part of 
my own healing journey. And if I couldn't show up for myself, I showed up for my animals, you know, and they really taught me how to show up, show up in life. Um, So we actually had two great Pyrenees and we live literally where there's mountain lion. And so the Pyrenees kept the mountain lion away um, and both the Pyrenees passed away within a year of each other, which was heartbreaking. Mm, right. And with our two pugs, we noticed that the mountain lion would come to the pug pen. And mm. the pen. So we just realized being in the mountains and also having girls, daughters, we're like, we need a big dog. Um, so we researched all the big dogs and now we have this amazing Leonberger puppy who's literally, he looks like a bear. He's so hilarious. How, give me a sense. How much does a full-grown Leonberger weigh? Uh, full-grown can be 200 pounds. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it'll probably be like 160, 170, but <laughs> massive. Yeah. Massive. That's a long way from a chihuahua. <laughs> oh, my God. Totally. And I was like queen of the chihuahuas. I had chihuahuas forever. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's really, um, I'm, I just, I have this vision of you with the silver hair and the silver outfit and your Leonberger. And it, it's, it's like something I'm, I'm thinking out of like a James Cameron, like, you know, adventure movie or something. This woman, silver haired woman with this giant animal comes out of the woods. <laughs> yeah. I'll send you, I'll send you a picture of me and my silver outfit with Ziggy. Leonberger. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> great. Um, so I, I just sort of bring this back to why we started the conversation about like crazy stress and meditation. What would you say to someone, um, who's listening and they feel like we get this all the time, you know, um, I want to meditate. I don't know how to meditate. What, what do I do? Um, you're like super pro at this. What, what would you tell them? I'd say set yourself up for success start start small you know don't try to like be way up here and go into like a you know hour long sit it it shouldn't be something that's torturous it should be something that truly is a reset and of benefit and it can be something you know one thing i did talk with my daughters about like the importance of of creating ritual and and having a bit of discipline around that and that can often bring such um, tranquility as well as a sense of belonging into our lives and into our day. And to start your day with, you know, literally find a sweet place to, to put a cushion, right? And ha- maybe have a candle and maybe have some incense and, and have a time every day or maybe Monday through Friday where you're gonna get up and you're gonna take five minutes to do this ritual. It's about your own self-expression, self-care, a a moment in your busy day to cultivate awareness, connection with oneself, connection with one's breath. Um, It can be as simple as I'm gonna sit for five minutes or even to come up with five things that I am truly grateful for. And I'm going to sit and take five breaths, you know, an inhale to the count of four, an exhale to the count of four. You're going to do five rounds. And at the same time, you're taking that inhalation, exhalation, 
you are going to truly like bask in something you are grateful for. And then maybe even bring that gratitude to your own self, to your own body. Dedicate that to like, may, may I walk into my day in this connection? And you can start there, you know? It can be that simple. Um, but bringing that ritual and intention into one's life can have profound effects in a really simple way. I'm, so that's a great starting place. I mean, I'm looking, I'm looking at you now and I, I'm going to tell you a, a story that, um, so we have, we have a mutual friend who said, oh, you should be to Carrie. And I said, that Carrie? She says, yeah, that Carrie. I said, well, uh, uh, okay. Because <laughs> I wasn't, like, I only knew like before, right? Right, right. <laughs> right and I, I said oh okay so then we had a call and i was like, like why oh. <laughs> and well i shooting like like i remember what you know yeah um, it was headlines um yeah and uh you are just uh it's just it, you're magnificent um and you you just i feel like for people who think that the way, like the way they feel now, or the way they are now, is the like to just suck it up and ex, you know, just like uh, this is the way it's been. Yeah. It well, it, no, <laughs> you know, um, things can really like dramatically change. Yeah, and we also have to be active participants in that change. Right. Exactly. We have free will. You know, we we yeah. need to be involved in our our change. You have to take the action to sit on the cushion, right? Yeah. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. yeah. And it's, yeah, you know, to show up for oneself. And again, right. back to this piece of what we're not taught. And guess what? You know, we can show up for ourselves and radically change both our lives, but the lens in which we view our life. So everything is perspective. Yeah. You know, and if I'm like moving into my day and like irritability and anger and from a place of wounding, guess what my day is going to look like? Guess right. what I'm going to look like? As opposed to taking the time to reset and cultivating patience and love and compassion because right. it starts with ourselves, And then we can actually move into our day and then guess what our day will look like from that lens. That's for real, you know, I am a testament to it because I could be living my life and, and looking through the lens of victim, of, of mad, angry woman, all this crap happened to me. I have a choice and I am very, very aware that that choice is really important for, for me in how I relate in my life. I notice when I'm, if I'm like out in the world and, uh, like I'm walking down a sidewalk and I'm, I'm bumping into people and I'm feeling, you know, like it's not them. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> I am the problem. <laughs> I am what needs fixing. <laughs> you know, that, that whole thing, wherever you go, there, there you, you go. <laughs> you keep blaming that, that damn boss who you keep getting. It seems like such a jerk, but wait a minute. How come every job you've been in for 10 years, you've got the same boss? Like, uh, right. <laughs> what needs to change here? Oh, <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah. And right. it actually gets a lot easier when we get that piece. 
Yeah. Like when we get that piece, actually there's something we can do about it. Yeah. And that's, that's the brilliant piece is, and that's why I say you, but you've got to be an active participant, which also takes discipline and a commitment. It takes you showing it's, up in a committed way. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, it's a, it's, it can be hard. Um, yeah. But yeah. the alternative, like, who wants to live like that? <laughs> yeah, it can be hard, but I feel like it's just a lot harder when you don't take responsibility. Yeah. The, um, you know, this, this, uh, what you said is learning how to be a human. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is, that's a beautiful thing. Yep. Carrie, you are a treasure. I am, I am so happy I made the phone call and. Yeah. Same, <laughs> and same. I'm just thrilled and honored and um, what a great discussion. It's been lovely. Um, thank you so much. And, um, you know, have a wonderful rest of the day in Boulder, Colorado. Yeah, you too. Enjoy the, the aspens changing color. I will. Okay. Thanks, okay. David. Thanks, Carrie. Bye. Thanks for listening to the show today. Um, Carrie's really amazing. We're going to have her on again in the future. She has so much to say about so many topics. Really incredible woman. Uh, last week, if you didn't see on the Aegis newsletter, we had Harlan Bratchler, um, really an amazing guy, who uh, in his early 60s pivoted from like retail fashion to this tech career. He works for the third largest tech company in the world, JD.com. Uh, just... And I asked him, how did that happen? And he says, well, I'm really interested in the future. So if you don't get the Aegis newsletter, you should sign up for it. Uh, you can sign up on the front of the Aegis site. And every week we put out you know, five or six interesting articles that we think that you would like. It comes directly to your email box. Um, and it's, it's a wonderful thing. We spend a lot of time on it. We work really hard. Uh, here on Super Age, please hit the like button. Leave us a comment. You can hit me up directly like a lot of you guys did last week. David at superage.com. I will answer your email directly. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for supporting Aegis and supporting Super Age. Have an awesome week. Bye now. Thank you.